You are listening to The Partner Podcast, relevant information to enhance the careers and improve the lives of partner-level attorneys. Produced by The Attorney Search Group, we grow law firms and accelerate attorney careers. Visit us on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. Lindsay Griffiths is the International Lawyers Network's Director of Global Relationship Management. In this capacity, she develops strategies and implementation plans to achieve the network's goals and shares responsibilities with the Executive Director for recruitment, member retention, and a high level of service to members. She's engaged in the legal industry to stay on top of trends, both in law firms and law firm networks. During her tenure, the ILN has been shortlisted as a Global Law Firm Network of the Year by the American Lawyer for 2016 and 2017 and included as a Chambers and Partners Leading Law Firm Network since 2011. Lindsay was awarded the Thought Leader of the Year by the Legal Marketing Association's New York chapter in 2014 for her substantive contributions to the industry and was recently included in Clio's list for 34 people in legal you should follow on Twitter. On today's show, I've got Lindsay Griffiths, who is in a leadership role with the International Lawyers Network. And today, we're going to be talking about the future of law and innovation. Lindsay, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. So let's kind of find out more. I'm curious about your network that you're involved in and your expertise. So I want to find out more about that first before we go into our topic here, just to give people some perspective on where you're coming from. So kind of tell us about uh, the organization, the International Lawyers Network, and what your role is within that organization. Sure. So the International Lawyers Network is an association of mid-sized law firms. We're similar to other networks that are out there in that the goal is that for firms who are looking to serve their clients either in cross-border matters without opening an office overseas or merging with another law firm can join a network like ours. And they have the ability to make those referrals with confidence. We help them to form their relationships with other lawyers and other jurisdictions And it's moved actually beyond those simple one-to-one referrals to being able to put together teams of lawyers that are able to work together with subject matter expertise or in multiple jurisdictions and to serve clients, both new clients and existing clients in those jurisdictions. That's great. What a great concept. And how long has your group been around? We are in our 31st year and I've been with the ILN for coming up on 15 years. That's great. So you probably know a lot of the leaders, a lot of the key members within your group, all your constituents, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm intimately familiar with all of our members. That's great. Yeah. So that's good. I appreciate that context. That kind of gives some real credibility to what we're talking about here today related to the future of law. And I know that's something that a lot of firms and lawyers hear a lot about. And sometimes they might say, well, we've talked about this, we've heard about this. But why do you think, looking at the future, why do you think that's a topic we should be continuing to address in the legal industry? Well, I think there's really three reasons for that. Statistics are showing that clients are still overwhelmingly not happy with their law firms. And that's that's a real concern. They're leaving firms and they do that 
in increments. I think most clients or most lawyers feel that their clients have a good enough relationship with them that if they're going to leave, they're going to tell them. And that's just proving not to be true. Clients will leave very slowly or very quietly. And so that's mm-hmm. that's a real concern for a firm. So I think we, we really do need to keep talking about the future of law. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so where do they go? Do they say, we're just going to build up our in-house? Do they go to other firms? Where do the clients go to? Well, a few places. Yes, they build up their in-house. I think we've seen that pretty much since 2008. A lot of the pressure has been on in-house departments to bring a lot of lot more work in-house to save costs. Um, they do go to other firms that are maybe being a little more innovative, a little more proactive, a little more cost efficient. But we are also seeing, and, and that really comes to the second reason, that the pace of innovation in legal is accelerating. It's just not maybe accelerating within law firms. So we are seeing a lot of disruptors within the industry that are coming in who are maybe not law firms, but are making things more efficient. So in-house counsel don't necessarily have to go to law firms for all of their legal work. Some of the things that are maybe not as high level can be done by companies that are coming in that are not law firms. What are some of these other disruptors, do you think? Like, for example, do you think accounting firms hiring patent prosecutors, uh, do you think that's something that that might be another variable? Or or what are some of the, the other things that you've seen from your perspective? Well, the big four are always a concern. They're less of a concern at the moment in the U.S. because our legal market doesn't allow for accounting firms to operate in the legal space, but outside of the U.S., they do. So I think we've been a little complacent here. I think firms do tend to watch what the big four are doing and what other accounting firms are doing, but outside the U.S., accounting firms are allowed to practice law. And so for many clients, they are one-stop shops that can you know, set up corporations for them and do a lot of things that are, are taking business away from law firms. And that's obviously a big concern. They're also going to other types of companies that are, you know, they, they may go to, to companies that have, you know, small, uh, they'll do outsour- of outsourcing of other types and some types of, of technological uh, companies that are, that are offering them solutions that are not necessarily law-based solutions. Hmm. So it, it sounds like all of these changes have converged to a point where law firm leadership needs to accept it and they need to make changes. What, what do you think are some of the big changes that law firm leaders are making within how they operate, within how they execute, how they market, how they sell work? Well, this is the interesting thing. So I think most law firm leaders accept that change is necessary and that, you know, quote unquote, the future is now. Mm-hmm. But the thing that becomes difficult is that how do we actually get change to happen within our firms? It's not just a question of, you know, okay, change is here, we get that. But I think people sort of are are tempted to throw technology at the problem of innovation. But really what you need to do is identify, you know, what, what are your goals in meeting these needs? And then what's the strategy we're going to use to get there? So technology can be effective to get to those goals, but that may not be what you need to do. It may be changing your cost structure. It may be changing your compensation structure to drive collaboration within the firm. And there's many different ways that firms can be innovative without necessarily even employing technology. So for me, what I've seen with more successful firms is that you really have to look at what are the end goals you have? What are your clients' goals? And what do they need you to meet in order to be more innovative and efficient? And do those things necessarily require 
require you to employ large-scale technological innovations. They may not. You may just need to employ more uh, practice innovation, more practice efficiencies. So let's just say a law firm leader has adopted change. They realize that they're going to have to make changes. They see what the trends are. They see what the data is telling them. And they have a team full of colleagues that are committed to execute. They have both partners who are billing time and professionals who are paid to execute and not bill time. And they're going forward and they're making headway on changes. What, what do you think at that point would be some of the barriers, some of the potholes, some of the potential complicators that they need to watch out for as they execute? Well, uh, change is hard. <laughs> um, that's the number one, you know, and, and a lot of people will think, you know, maybe it's not for us. Uh, the number one barrier that we see in, in most law firms is that for the most part, they operate sort of as loosely affiliated silo partnerships. Mm. And so that that makes it very challenging for, you know, any law firm to move forward. They're not really operating as businesses, but clients are operating as businesses. And so they sort of expect their law firms to to do the same. And interestingly, success has been a justification. So the pain has just not been acute enough for most law firm partners to want to make changes. And that totally makes sense. You know, until things really feel like they need to change because you're not making money, you're not going to make those changes. So I think, you know, I talk to a lot of law firm partners who feel that maybe they could just hold on to retirement or that's something for their younger partners and associates to worry about. So they don't really feel that, that pressure to make those changes. It's almost like I see with the whole legal landscape, just from my work of talking to literally hundreds of partners a month, is I feel like there is this quiet pressure that everybody's feeling, that we're in this game of musical chairs. And we know that the music is going to stop. And at some point, somebody's going to be kicked out of the game. And so I see a lot of partners operating in a state of fear. Some of them, they're not proactive. They're not, they don't have a written business development plan at the individual level. They're just not doing the things and they're hoping that they can hurry up and get a new client or a new matter that'll kind of tie them over for another year or two until the music stops. Is that an accurate representation of what you've seen with law firms also? I think that's absolutely right. And I think the biggest issue with, or the biggest reason for that is that people assume that change needs to be large scale. And the truth is that it just doesn't. I think if you're making incremental changes, then you're moving the needle forward and you, you're not, you're still making changes and you don't necessarily you're doing something, but you're, you don't have to change everything. And I think right. that's, that's the big thing. Everyone, as you say, there is a lot of fear-based problems that are causing people to just freeze and, do, and end up doing nothing. And so I think if you, and that goes back to, to what I was saying earlier with needing to have goals, you don't necessarily need to say, okay, so we're going to start from scratch. We're going to throw out everything we've ever done and we need to you know, bring in artificial intelligence and robots are going to do all of our, our work from now on and we're only going to do the high-end stuff. I mean, that's, that's not what we're expecting here. You need to really look at you know, what are the goals of the firm? What do we want to be known for? What's going to differentiate us from other law firms out there? What do our clients want? And this all just goes back to really good business skills. We're not, you know, no one's asking anybody to reinvent the wheel. It's just saying, you know, what, go back to the basics here, figure out what are the problems you're trying to solve and how you might solve them. And that may be in some cases, some technology, or it may be, how can you be more efficient in your business? Some of that's going to involve people. Some of it's going to involve technology, but it's 
you can do that in pockets without having to change everything at once. You know, an interesting observation, everything that you've said, if we could go back over the last 45 seconds, I would say that's everything a law firm needs to focus on to be successful. Mm -hmm. However, I see that there are these artificial goals that I think, I think it's a problem that goes back to when the American lawyers started publishing profits for partner in large firms, is that chairman, that is where their focus is. We've got to raise profits per partner. Well, is that in the client's best interest? Is that in the partner's best interest? Is that really what the focus should be? And so I've seen them up close and personal making ineffective decisions purely to raise the profits per partner instead of let's look at other variables that support our firm that can make it a healthy partnership rather than something that's just going to get us through the next 12 months so we don't look as bad as our competition if our profits per partner go down. And so I see these artificial pressures from that, which cause law firms, I think, to make ineffective growth decisions in terms of building a thriving organization. What, what do you think about that? What's, what's your perspective been related to that? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I think, you know, law firms historically have operated very differently than businesses, obviously. And I I think there is this idea that, you know, law firms are special, lawyers are special. And to some extent, obviously, that's true. You know, it is a different kind of business. But, you know, there is some utility in looking at how other businesses operate and trying to emulate that to some extent. And so I think that there are, are lessons that we can learn and ways that that firms could be operating more like businesses that would benefit us as an industry. And, and as you say, to maybe get a, away a little bit from that competitive streak and and to try and not really look at the profits per partner as a real measure of what a successful firm looks like. You know, I wanted to go back to one of the variables you mentioned when we talked about the impediments or barriers to change. You said that a lot of firms are operating as a loosely affiliated silo rather than as a cohesive team. If there's a law firm leader that agrees with you and says, I'm frustrated I really don't want that in my firm, but I'm afraid that we have that. What have you seen effective law firm leaders do to kind of go in that opposite trend to build a cohesive team where they've got a lot of enthusiasm and support among colleagues? Uh, Well, it's interesting. I've read a couple of really good leadership books the last few months, and one of them is called uh, Tribal Leadership, Leveraging Natural Groups to Build a Thriving Organization, Um, and another one is called Leading Change. And both of them, and really pretty much every book I've read sort of on this subject, espouses the idea of finding a noble cause, which is this idea that you find something that's bigger than any one person at your organization. And I think that's a good place to start. So obviously at any firm, you're going to have different styles of adoption. Some people are are going to not want any change at all. And the truth is you're never going to convince those people. So you really have to sort of work with the willing. There are going to be some people who are massive change agents. There are going to be those people who want to throw out everything and start from fresh. And that's not really necessarily, I think, the way everyone wants to go. Also, I think it's going to be fairly rare in the legal industry to find that. And then there's going to be more pragmatists who are in the middle and maybe want to make more incremental changes. And I think Mm -hmm. that's more what you're going to find in this industry. So you really need to work with the willing, but to sort of bring people together. And I think what most law firm leaders have found, and what I know from speaking to other law firm professionals, what what they found is when you work with the willing and you find champions within the firm to sort of 
bring together this, this mass consensus, that's when you really start to get some momentum within the firm to help bring about change. But when you can find right. a uniting cause that's not just about any one person or any one practice, and especially in law firms, finding other firms that have done something similar before and have found success, that's always a really good, uh, a really good thing to, uh, to show lawyers. They like evidence. That's right. I think that's a great point, Lindsay, because there is always an emotional context. And this is what I tell partners. When you move from one firm to another, there will be emotions involved. And there's nothing wrong with that. You want to make sure that the firm has the infrastructure and all the other criteria you need to be able to allow yourself to release that scary risk of, is this the right decision because I'm excited or the wrong decision because I'm excited? You want to be excited about moving. And I think what you just said, there's an emotional context with people coming to work every day. And this is what I've noticed. Years ago, I used to be a leadership trainer on active duty uh, when I was 24. And, and I learned just from having worked with sailors who the harder they work, the more their pay stays the same. You know, there's no bonus on active duty, right? And, and, and they will give a response in terms of their enthusiasm and energy in accomplishing a goal and they choose what level of response they're going to give. They'll give the minimum when it's based just on the authority of the leader because you're the boss of me, so I have to do what you say. But when they respect the leader, they're going to go out of their way and sometimes even put their life on the line to accomplish the task. And I think with partners, it's the exact same way. When they have respect for those who are in a leadership role, when they have respect for their colleagues and they have a uniting force beyond profit that brings them to work every day, then it's harder to pull them away to go to different firms. And they, there's a spring in their step every day, Monday morning, when they come to work because they're aligned on something that's just beyond the money. So I think, I think that's a very good point. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's something that makes them feel part of a team rather than I'm just coming to work to make money for myself and my practice. Right. I remember there was this one partner I was talking to. He said, I'm tired of thinking about myself. I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm tired of having to always look over my shoulder and make sure that my partners don't steal my clients and put it in their column. He said, I just want to go to work where I don't have to think about that. And I described to him, I said, what if you could go to work where you didn't have to think about yourself and you focused on what's in the firm's best interest, knowing that doing so, that rising tide would benefit everybody. He said, that's exactly what I want. Mm -hmm. And obviously the sad thing is is he couldn't have that where he was because he didn't trust his leadership and he didn't trust his partners. So I've seen that also where, and I think that's probably one of the bigger reasons why a partner goes to a different firm. So if there's a law firm leader listening, when you focus on some of the things that Lindsay was mentioning, that's going to be extremely attractive to a very large amount of partners out there that want to go to a firm where there's something different and exciting and electric about that. So let me kind of take it down a different path here. Talking about innovation at law firms, what are you seeing in terms of trends uh, related to innovation at law firms right now, Lindsay? So I think the biggest trend, and and I've heard this from a couple of people, I think the thing that's going to be most successful is collaboration. Mm -hmm. And some people, you know, that used to come across as what people would call cross-selling, but Heidi Gardner, uh, who is a Harvard professor, I believe, wrote an excellent book on this called Smart Collaboration, and that's what she calls it, so that's what I'll call it. And that's really a very strategic way of collaborating with your colleagues, and it actually ties in nicely to what you were just saying. Uh, before. This idea of 
a rising tide lifts all boats, that you're not just working for yourself and that you're competing with your colleagues, but that when you work together strategically with your colleagues, or in our case, across firms within a network, that you have this ability to serve clients in a way that is extremely effective and actually brings in more money for everybody. That is not only going to be great for the firm, but it's great for the client. So, and it, it builds additional client loyalty. So I, I see that as being something that is a huge trend within the, the legal industry. And for a couple of reasons, not just the collaboration side itself, but I think clients are, are expecting firms, not just firms, but partners, especially to be, have more deep niche expertise. So I think any of us are are suspect when you go to somebody and they say, sure, I know everything about everything. So you just don't know that's true. So if somebody (laughs) says they have very deep expertise in one area and they can show you where they've practiced, um, the case successes that they have, the articles that they've written in that area and so forth. And then they say, and I know somebody in this area who's done the same thing in this area, and they can put together those teams of experts that can serve the client very effectively, whether those teams are within their own firm or across firms, that's the type of, of really effective collaboration that, that I think clients are expecting and that firms need to really embrace. And it's a, it's a real challenge, but I think that's going to be um, the wave of the future. Wow, that's great. So what, what do you think? If there was one trend that's an overarching trend related to uh, being successful for law firms in the future, what do you think that would be? What's the number one thing out there that law firms should keep top of mind? I would say 100% collaboration. And in order to do that, they would need to get to know each other better. Compensation structures are going to have to be examined to make sure that it lends itself better to collaboration. Um, And I think firms and lawyers are going to have to be open to the idea that it's okay to work with each other and figure out how better to do that. Right. So do you think it would be wise for a firm as they're, let's say that they're, they're coming together to look at their annual goals or they're looking at strategy. Do you think it would be fair to say when they, when they look at what are our core values as an organization? And that, that's one thing I just don't see a lot of is firms that have deliberately identified the collective values that have clarified that vision and have really articulated that mission. I just haven't seen a lot of that and mm-hmm. I, I would consider those the building blocks of organizational development, the values, vision, and mission. But let's say, do you think it would be fair for a firm to really put collaboration at the top? Do you think that would be a, a wise thing for them to do? Absolutely. I think it benefits the client and it benefits the firm because clients get the the benefit of those that teamwork that is going to not only help them to better execute the matters that they have need of. But it's it's the idea of, you know, collaboration isn't just about serving individual matters. It's about working together with the client to, to make sure that whatever their needs are, they're being met. And that could be seconding someone to the client to make sure that they're getting the best possible work from the firm and that the firm is best understanding what the client's needs are. It may be putting together the right team within the firm to serve an individual matter. You know, it could be a number of things, but I think as, as you say, that that goal, that overarching value of collaboration can meet all of those, those various iterations that says both to a client and within the, the team value of the firm itself, that that's, you know, that's the kind of 
thing that we want to do as a firm. Well, that's great, Lindsay. I think that's well said. So we'll put your contact info on the show notes, but tell us what's the website. If somebody's listening right now, they wanted to go to the site to see your network's web address. What is that? And what are some other things that you'd want people to know about your network? So we are uh, at ilntoday.com. And the other place that I think is useful for you to know about is um, my blog, which is zenlegalnetworking.com. And I share um, some topics of interest, usually related to legal innovation and the future of law firm networking, among other things. And uh, those would be the two areas to find me. That's great, Lindsay. Thank you so much. We'll definitely have you back on. I know there's probably about 20 other things we could talk about. (laughs) But uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time and for your expertise. This has been very helpful for the listeners, I'm sure. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas or recommendations for this podcast, please email me at scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. For more information about the Attorney Search Group and the services I offer as a sports agent for partners who want to find a better platform, visit me on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.